0: Welcome to another edition of the Let's Grow podcast. Today, I want to talk about a lot of things. So get ready to hear some good content. So first, I want to start out with the news that just happened a few hours ago. Well, it started yesterday or so, two days ago, when our president, Donald Trump, got coronavirus. Yeah, that was a long time coming. I mean, you take so many chances so often. The probability of you getting coronavirus, shaking people's hands, not wearing masks, is pretty damn high. Now, don't mind, there's a dog in the other room. And it doesn't want to be in there right now, but we need to have it quiet. So, if you hear a dog in the background, that's what it is. It's a little guy, but with a big voice. He's like the Napoleon complex of dogs. But Donald Trump is in the hospital he's at. Walter Reed right now he got flown on Marine Run Marine One two days ago from the White House didn't talk to reporters didn't stop just gave a thumbs up and went on the helicopter to Walter Reed it was about a 17 minute flight I guess they went slower than normal because it's taking a long time just uh, out of precaution and since then 72% 72% of Americans in a poll said that the, the administration handled this whole thing the wrong way now regardless of whether or not you support trump you got to figure like man it wasn't this bad with obama with with the whole uh ebola virus now i know there was no social media back then so the ability to get your disinformation out depending on whatever side you support wasn't as prevalent or wasn't as easy to do as it is now with social media running our lives but Even then you had a consistent message coming out of the white house. You had a consistent message that people felt united instead of divided. And I think, and I think the fact that just when Ebola happened, for those who remember it, it didn't feel like it was you versus everyone else around you. It was like, Hey, we're in this together. We're one nation fighting against something that has no political party. It's just a virus. It's part of nature and we're always fighting nature. Whether it's now, whether it's you know another podcast I made a while ago that's about that was about the worst times to be alive in human history. And this is not one of them. As far as the amount of people dying. Now, yes, there's a lot of stress and there's a lot of economic turmoil and inconsistencies and we don't know what's going to happen and when things are going back. Yes, I understand all that. But as far as it being one of the worst times in the history of humanity... I'm gonna hard I'm gonna have to say that's a hard negative on on this being one of the worst times ever. There's a lot of good happening right now. But going back to the story, so today, just a few hours ago, Trump emerged from the hospital after being there for two days in his convoy, in his you know, SUV convoy, driving around the hospital, literally driving around the hospital just to wave at his supporters that have been gathered uh, at the entrance for, you know, since he went in with their with their big signs and their flags and things like that. So apparently the story is that he didn't like the way his administration was handling the virus. His own spokesperson at the White House said that he was taken in because there were some grave concerns and this, and he goes, you know, he doesn't like to put his future in other people's hands. He went out and he drove around in a SUV, <laughs> You just gotta think kind of how dumb that is. You're in a the hospital, they're saying, hey man, you got coronavirus, you're 74 years old, you're obese for your, for your height and weight, uh, you're at a heightened propensity to get really hit hard by this thing. And he's like, get my suit on, we're going, and we're going to right, right around the hotel or the hospital so I can wave at people. So the optics are good. The optics. The damn optics. For anyone who doesn't speak politics, optics is the way that your situation looks to people. So if it's looking bad, you do something to make the optics look good. And that's what he did. I mean, credit to him. You got to have some balls to be freaking out about coronavirus. I mean, you're 74 years old. You're obese. You don't have. You're, apparently, his diet is not <laughs> the best. But it takes balls to get in the car and say, hey, drive me around. And you know who has even bigger balls? The Secret Service agents who are driving him around the, I keep saying, hotel, the hospital. Because they're in the front driving this guy around who they know is completely affected right now. And they got to say nothing and just shut their mouths and do the will of the president. Now That's got to be a hard job for any president. I mean, not, not just this one. To be a Secret Service agent, the stuff you hear on a daily basis when you're covering the president that you have to shut out. Regardless of your, of your political views, man, these guys do not get paid enough. They have to be perfect every single time. A few years ago, there was a big thing, ticket service in shambles. Some word was getting out that people were unhappy. And I guess you're not supposed to do that. It's an unwritten rule, and they had to clean house. They had to switch uh, a lot of the leadership inside the secret service. But, I mean, that's talk about stressful job. Your job is to keep the person most people in the world want to kill like assassinate and keep him safe that's hard and you you have to be perfect one hundred percent of the time, but I don't want to talk about secret service that's that's just if you want to understand the mentality of a secret service agent, go on YouTube. there are tons of videos of retired secret service agents talking about exactly what their job is uh, historically and now and what it will be in the future because now when you have things like drones that are flying around carrying. Carrying a, uh, carrying a small bomb on it, you know they try to assassinate Venezuela's president when he was on stage speaking with a bunch of his generals with a drone that had a missile on it. A lot of the smaller factions, coming out of uh, you know let's say Syria or Iran, they're using drones, flying them in and just exploding, because there, there's no, you're not risking human life. You don't have to regile someone with tales of virgins after death to go blow themselves up. You just send a little, a little helicopter, a little drone, strap, strap a little bomb to it. And the crazy thing is this is, I know we're diverging from our path, but this is really important because the same exact facial recognition that you have on your phone that recognizes your face is just software. That camera is just a camera. It's a software that makes it read your face, uh, uh, your face. So all you have to do is stick one of those cameras onto a drone, give it a target, and say, when you see this person, fly close to it and detonate. And that drone, as long as it has battery, will fly around, find that specific person, recognize the face, go close to him, and boom. That's, that's the future. Now they have anti-drone jammers, they have jo- they have drones that kill other drones. They're called drone-killing drones. And their job is to seek out other drones and render them useless. But anyway, so Trump is out here and uh he's I mean, things are going bad from bad. Regardless if you like him or not, this is not where you want to be 30 days out or 30 odd days out from the election. You got coronavirus, you can't campaign. And the Biden administration, they're doing nothing. Or the Biden campaign, sorry, doing nothing. Because in situations like this in politics, the last thing you want to do is fan the flame with your own voice. You see, you're trying to help. You're trying to make the media give this as much coverage as humanly possible without you stepping foot in. Because you have a negative bias towards Trump if you're Biden, if you're his campaign staff. Because obviously you're running against him. But the media covers the story over and over again. The Biden administration as Biden campaign. I keep saying administration has nothing to do with it. They've gone quiet. They've literally essentially taken a day off. I think the only quote that came out of the whole Biden camp today was a donor of his. So all the staffers. And everyone else that works for the campaign are, have been instructed not to say a word to the press because they don't want to start getting in there and, uh, you know, have people who don't think of them so well, like in a negative light, say, oh, well, they're just trying to, you know, they're trying to spit in a wound or throw salt in a wound. But that's smart on their part. And the, the administration, if they want to get out of this soon, I know Trump's trying to get out tomorrow already. He's trying to get back to work tomorrow, three days after going in. I mean, look, if your only goal is to get reelected at the expense of your health, then, you know, by all means, do it. But, man, I mean, if you're Trump, I know, you know, he doesn't like to lose, but come on, you got a great life. You don't need a second term in the presidency. Like, stay alive, dude. Dude plays golf. Hangs on hot girls. Has a good life. Don't waste it trying to, uh, I don't know. But then when you're at that point, when you're the president and you have so much to prove, do you really want to lose? You see, I don't think Trump ever thought he was going to win. I I always have said, this is a publicity stunt. And when he started to win, he's like, "Uh uh-oh, hey, I'm starting to win and I'm not really sure. (laughs) I didn't expect this. Then it became a whole thing, and how can you turn down the presidency at that point? And he has his supporters. When he gets out of the presidency, whether it's in a month or in a few months or another term, he's going to do very well for himself. Now, he's going to have a lot of people who hate him, but his supporters are going to be the most ardent supporters ever. And But it's kind of weird because being a marketer, and we are going to talk about sales and marketing today, I promise, but we're, we're, we're diverging on a little path right now. Coming from a marketer, as a marketer, I know that my followers or my potential customers have to be able to afford the product that I'm selling. Okay, right now, Trump's base would never be allowed into his golf course. They they couldn't afford his stuff. Now, back then when he had Trump Airlines for a while and he had uh, his Trump ties and things like that, even those at Macy's were a little overpriced, and I used to have some I actually went to a st- Democratic California Democratic State Convention in Sacramento with a Donald Trump pink tie because it was nice. And I remember my buddy Anthony, who worked for the Loretta Sanchez campaign, uh, he was with me when I bought it. You know, back then Trump wasn't political; he was just Trump. But you have to know what you have, what you can sell to your people. And what they can afford, because they are, they already support you with them, their bodies, their minds, their voices, their spirits. But what he needs is to get them to support him monetarily. So what do you do if you're Trump when you get out of office, whether it's now or in four years? What do you sell to them? I mean, you've already done clothing. You've already done pretty much everything you could have done. And now he has a massive base. So I'm thinking if I'm his marketing team, if he has one what can we pitch to people we've already done courses like how to become a millionaire expensive courses you know they obviously the courts shut that down because it was predatory uh, something predatory lending or they were using predatory practices to get people and overpromising under uh, under delivering etc but you can't bring them to golf courses you can't bring them to those $2000 a plate dinners logically what i think if I were in Trump's position when I got out, is I would have to create something that my followers could afford or could make me money from their attention. Now, social media is all attention, right? You make money on YouTube when you get attention. So I think the lo- the, lo- the logical thing for Trump would be to start his own news network like Bloomberg has done, like Arianna Huff- uh, Huffington did with the Huffington Post and sold it for like $100 million, like uh, Matt Drudge did with, with the Drudge Report. and Ted Turner did with Fox News, and Robert uh, Roger Ayers did. Roger Ailes did with Fox News. Anyway, he has to start a news company. But the thing then is, what do you push? Besides his, you know, immigration and things like that, and uh, make America great again. I mean, I'm I'm thinking right now, and what exactly do you push? What kind of narrative? What kind of positions do you take? Do you take the straight Republican narrative, which he won't need after he's pres- after he's done being president? He won't need the Republican platform, which he doesn't agree with most of it anyway. Does he switch up? Does he try to start a third party? Does he try to just... I mean, if, if I were him and his team, you got to support a people. Start a news agency and make money off their attention by selling ads to other companies. Fox News made over $3 billion, billion just I I believe last quarter, sorry, like $2.76 billion. I think it was like a 6% increase from the last quarter right before that, which is huge. You know, Fox News and CNN, they're all corporations. I always say this, they're just corporations. And their job is to make their shareholders money by selling you news and gaining and keeping your attention. So the product is us. And if you've watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix, if you haven't, I suggest you watch it. It talks exactly about that. It's, it's about the fact that we are the product now. The product is us. And our attention is what makes these companies money, these platforms. And I think before we go on to the sales thing, because this is kind of getting into that, one of my favorite parts of the movie was this guy. I forget what his name is. I think it's the guy who invented the Facebook like button and he figured out how to monetize Facebook. Uh, I may be mistaken, but I believe it was that specific guy because they have on their, on The Social Dilemma, they bring in people and they interview them, the people who made Gmail, the guy who made Gmail, the guy who made the Facebook like button, the guy who came in to Facebook when they needed help monetizing their platform and figured, hey, we're going to do it with ads. Like, these are the people that made that ran Twitter's algorithm. And one of the guys says, the most ironic thing, and I'm paraphrasing, is he says, I became addicted to social media. I built the algorithm that I then got addicted to. What, how, how ironic is that? You know exactly what it's going to do because you built it, and you still get addicted to it. He said, I had to write a software program to help me become unaddicted from the software program that I wrote. And the other line that stuck out to me and again, I'm paraphrasing, I'm probably butchering it, but he says something like, when you look at your phone screen, you gotta realize on one side, us, is this really primate brain that evolved to have safety, familial ties, and just our standard foundational things you need to live. And on the other side of that screen We have thousands of social science, scientists, data engineers, data scientists, computer engineers, marketers. Who do you think is going to win that battle? The 2,000 people on the other side of the screen or your primate brain that uses motion? It's a really interesting documentary, probably one of the best I've ever seen. Especially being in, being obviously, a, you know, being in marketing. But I suggest taking a few hours out of your day and, and watching it because you spend so much time on your social media. It'd be nice to figure out why you spend so much time on it and why you can't get off it and why you find yourself subconsciously grabbing your phone and checking Instagram. It's like you don't even think about it, it's subconscious at this point. You swipe up, look at your phone, immediately tap where your Instagram is at, and just scroll through your newsfeed. Minusly, it's amazing how they do it so i wanted to turn the conversation now to sales because i've been thinking about this for the last day or so now a lot of people don't know that i did mortgage sales and financing for nine years before and during when i lived in hollywood I've worked for some of, the, some of the biggest companies, you know, the lending tree types companies. Had some of the best trainers, sales trainers ever. Started off when I was 18, right, right out of high school, doing, uh, be, becoming a real estate agent and getting my license and started selling homes in Huntington Beach and Long Beach. And I didn't really like the face-to-face interaction, babysitting clients, taking them around. So I got into mortgage lending, so the financing part. So my job was to be on the phones, call, like, call the leads, the warm leads, and convert them, whether it's refining their, uh, refinancing their house, helping them purchase a new loan, uh, a new home, getting a line of credit, call it HELOC, Home Equity Line of Credit, refinancing, getting reverse mortgage, which I did for a few years, and working for these large companies, they hired some of the best trainers to come in and teach us how to sell because it's a very psychological thing. And all you have to use to sell that person who's looking over the edge and they wanna take that plunge and make it the the biggest investment that they'll ever make in their life for most people, the only tool that you have to get them from point A to point B, point B mean they buy from you and you're the agent and you make a commission, and point A is they just call in to test the waters. They call. They want to see what's going on. The only tool that you have to get them from that point to that point is your voice. Literally just your voice and your mind. And if you've never been in sales before, and if you have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The feeling that you feel when you close that client, when you finally break down and say, yes, okay, let's do it. I'm ready. And you get up and you're like, ah, got him. And salesmen can be rambunctious. We're a weird type. We're just a different breed. I've heard people scream, ah. Other people just stay quiet. Some people pace. But everyone has their own way to sell and what they do when they sell and what they finally closed. And there is a big distinction between people who sell very well and people who are mediocre. And that difference is. Your ability. To read the person. That you're speaking to. Over the phone especially. Because you can't even see their facial tics. And their body language. It's to be able to hear. Decipher. Their tonality. In their voice. And the way they're saying things. Their cadence. And pick up on small trigger words. And then. Find the pain points in their life why they want to take that plunge, why they want to take an action, and not exploit it. I wouldn't say you exploit it, but you bring it to life because it's there, but they won't tell you about it because they have ego, they have pride. Maybe they have resentment from a deal gone wrong. Maybe they work with someone else who had the same title as you did and did them dirty. Maybe, Maybe they've heard stories. Everyone's heard stories. Oh, I heard so someone, someone lost their house in a reverse mortgage. They're old and they got thrown on the street. But it's the ability to be able to pick up on small, tiny nuances in someone's face if you're doing a face-to-face meeting or in their voice. And instead of chugging along the sales script, because I know that in sales, you know, you have a script. Okay, first you're going to say this, and then you're going to say this, and then here's a natural continuity to get to the sale. And especially new guys, the new guys want to stick so hard to this to the to the script because they don't know what they're talking about. And they don't want to deviate from that. And the longer you're in sales and the more people you talk to, you realize that it has nothing to do with the script. The script is just to in case you get lost to get you back on track. It's just to get them to open up a little bit. And whether, it, whether you're doing face-to-face sales, whether you're doing real estate sales, whether you're doing phone sales, whether you're trying to make a sale in front of somebody who you're trying to close a contract with, like let's say you have a marketing client or you want to get your product um, into a distribution network, your physical product, or you're meeting with a vendor, whatever it is, the person is a gatekeeper. So you need to get in that gate and then you will get the sale. So... People who push the sale, they come across really cheesy, really unauthentic. You you can read them from a mile away. They just want my money. They want me to close. I get it. But what I like to do, and I suggest people look at doing this as well, is do the non-sale sale. And I learned this from a good buddy of mine. Unfortunately, he passed away. Jose. This guy would say, I don't want you to get my loan. You should probably not call me back. Stop, what are you doing? And just saying that catches them off guard. And they say, what do you mean? I that you're my salesman. He goes, no, I'm your advisor. I'm not your salesman. I have enough loans I'm closing this month. I have enough deals in my pipeline. I'm going to make a lot of money. I don't need yours. I already got... I've been doing this for years. I have a pipeline of 85 applications of people who want homes. You're number 86. You're not going to make or break me. But I will. what I will do is advise you and let you know if this is the right move for you. And when you say things like that, you immediately stop becoming the salesperson and you start becoming their friend, their actual advisor. So in sales a lot of the time you're telling someone who may think they want something like a shiny little apple, like, hey, maybe you don't need this apple. Maybe you should get an orange instead. Maybe not. Let's, ex- let's examine why. And I guarantee you, because this will happen to me all the time, especially when I'm competing for a sale against you know, two or three other loan officers that they're also talking to at the same time, offering them rates and things like that. You would look at one of the rates and say, you know what, actually, hey, that's a pretty good deal, man. Like, you should probably take that. Or say, hey, you know, that's really not a good deal because here's why. Or maybe you don't even need re- need to refinance. Why do you want all that money and cash out? You should just take a line of credit instead. So there, there's so many ways that you can sell different products and services. It doesn't have to just be the straight sale, by the book, from A to B, the fastest way possible because you're gonna lose a lot of clients like that. And the way that you don't get referrals is by doing exactly what I just said go from A to B in the quickest way possible. Because I'm, by this day and age, we've probably been exposed to more sales pitches than anyone, any other generation in human history. Commercials, advertisements, whether it's print or voice or television. Every single day on Instagram, every four posts we see an ad, Every four story swipes, we see an ad. Someone's trying to sell us something. And if you try to use the same old game book that everyone else is using, you're going to have the same success rate that everyone else is having, which is barely any. It's the people who go deeper and who actually study their craft, just like an actor, are the ones who succeed. And the ones who, when you open yourself up and you give parts of yourself to that sale and you give little insights into your life, they feel like they're getting behind the mask of the salesperson. They can't see you. They don't know what you look like. All they hear is your voice. So you can't impress them with your shiny shoes or your nice Hermes belt or you know your Donald Trump pink tie like I had. You just have to use your voice. So I suggest anyone who's in any any type of sale because in reality, we're always selling ourselves. That's all we're doing. When you go out, the way you dress is because you're trying to sell yourself to be to look like a certain person that you want to look like or give off a certain vibe. That's why people dress up when they go to the club because you're out looking for a suitor, whether it whether it be just a one-night stand or whether it be something long something longer term you're looking for somebody for companionship. So you dress up. And people People understood that when they're doing sales. It's, yeah, you can dress up, but if you don't have the ability to dress up, if you're running ads online, what is your customer going to see? What's your product? How does it look? So I walk into a Macy's, there's someone who's a professional person who set up that lighting. So when I walk in, I feel a certain way. Louis Vuitton and Apple are very good at this. When you walk in the store, if you're walking to a Louis Vuitton store, just don't even look at the product, just look at the lighting. So from the second I walk in, I feel a certain way. I see, I see the light a certain way. I see the products presented in a certain way. If I'm a digital marketer or if I'm running ads, even if I'm not, even if you think you're not a marketer, let's say you have a product and you're trying to sell that product, you're trying, you're trying to sell more of it. When the person clicks the ad, well, first before they even click the ad, what are they seeing? What's the imagery that they're getting? What's a sales copy, meaning the words that it's called a CTA, a call to action. What's the words? what are the words doing to the person? Are they bringing up any kind of emotion? What's their purpose? And when they click the ad, find them you finally them get it to click. What are they seeing? Are they seeing a crappy web page that looks like a five-year- old did it? Actually, that's not true. Some, some five-year- olds are so good at making uh, just anything online now. I wouldn't say a five-year-old. Sorry, that's that's uh, that's not fair to five years old. Five-year-olds. Let's say a forty-year-old. Are they going to see a website that a forty-year-old made that went on a Wix or a Squarespace or some other? Uh, it, if just don't use those. Just pay to get a professional website done. You are not a web designer. You are not an ad specialist. Just like people who get into stock market after a week, they're not stock traders. You're a human being who wants to do this but you don't know how to do it you may know a few snazzy words and things like that but it is not your profession don't do it save yourself the headache and get someone to do it right because if you run a thousand dollars in ads to a crappy website you're gonna you know what you're gonna do right you just wasted a thousand dollars now if the website cost you a hundred dollars to make good for you well you just invested a thousand dollars that you're gonna lose because you have a crappy website and think about how many people you're competing with in today's age. I mean, everything is a competition online. So if you look, again, if you don't look as good as the big the big boys, well, think about what that's going to do to your conversion. If you don't know the action that your customers are taking on your website, if you don't know every single thing that they do on the website, how long they spend there, how many pages they access, what are they hovering over, are they clicking a buy button, Are they abandoning their cart when they go to the checkout? Are they abandoning it? Do you have a retargeting campaign for that person, whether they put their email in and they just just don't finish the checkout or whether you can tag their IP address and run retargeting campaigns? These are all things that you need to know as a digital marketer, which is the same exact things that salesmen need to know when they're talking to a client, whether on the phone or in person. You need to know what they're doing. Is your client at the signing table? Can, can you feel the urgency that he has to sign, or is he kind of like, uh, I don't know, I have some questions? And if you're doing it online, what's your bar? What, what's your potential customer scene? How's your product look? Because when I go into a Louis Vuitton store, I know that they're paying a guy over hundred thousand dollars a year just to make sure the lighting looks good. That's not even the carpentry. The architecture, the color of the walls, just the lighting is someone they're paying hundred thousand dollars a year. That's just to get. That's just to make me feel a certain way to, to to eventually buy the product. So if you're not spending money because either you're cheap or you don't have the money, I would suggest if you don't have the money, save enough money to do it. Don't do it on a shoestring budget because you're just going to waste your time and you're not going to sell anything. And then what happens, you say, oh, yeah, digital marketing, yeah, I, I used to do that. I used to do that. Uh, it's, it's not really my thing. Well, it would have been your thing if you knew exactly how to sell the products. But if you go on YouTube and you watch one or two videos and you think you know what you're doing, it's, you're going to fail. Just I say that to say this. Pay someone to make a very nice website, one that you look at and say, wow, that's amazing because you, you don't want to go cheap. You don't want to do the $500 website from a guy who's just going to make it look like it was made in 1998. You don't want that because you you won't sell it. You won't ever sell anything. But sales is one of those things that everyone does it whether you're actually in the a job where you do sales or where you're at a point in time in life where you're going out looking for someone to settle down with, or if you're in a dating world and you're just trying to date girls or guys, your social media is the first date. You're selling yourself to people. right? When you're on my page, what do you see? I, I always do this, and I, I suggest everyone doing this, regardless of what your profession is and job, if you're sales, or if you just have nothing to do with sales, or not, you're marketing, you're not in marketing, go on your Instagram or your social media and think as if you're not you think as if you're someone else like you're looking at yourself for the first time i love doing this what would you think about yourself if you didn't know that it was you i did this the other day and i do this for all my clients that i work with especially if i know them already you know because you have obviously you have a you have a bias towards them or against them or you have this preconceived idea of who they are because you know who they are. you you know you spent time with them, but look at yourself from the view of someone who doesn't know you. What do you appear to anyone who doesn't know you? If you feel like you can't get a girlfriend or a boyfriend, I mean, what are you displaying on social media? What are you attracting? Are you hoeing out on the gram? And then you wonder why you only get asshole guys that never stay around for more than a few months and cheat on you. Are you posting bad quality pictures of yourself? Because think about it the original so- the original social media was business cards. People hand them out like like cake, business cards, business cards. And if you've seen American uh, that? that movie, the name's blanking on me right now with Christian Bale, American Psycho. American Psycho, in that movie, him and his buddies would get together at a really nice dinner table and they would show off their business cards. And I I think one of the lines, this is a great movie if you haven't seen it, he obsesses over who has the best business card and they'll pop it out over, over lunch. He goes, this is a bone colored 16 point gloss finish Helvetica font business card. that was the original social media that that was the original social media and the better your business card was because you would save them in your rolodex you would literally have a rolodex people don't remember what rolodexes are (laughs) but it was literally a a wheel that you would turn and you would have all the names alphabetically so you'd have business cards inside each alphabet and you would turn it like a wheel and you'd find the business card and okay i'm gonna call this person now that was a rolodex so if I, if I had if I was competing with other, with other let's just say real estate salesmen then I would look at the best looking business card in my rolodex cuz that's all I had to go off of and whatever I the meeting I had with them how they came off how they were dressed Now you got millionaires sitting in their underwear at home don't ever have to dress up because they make money online or you have people who, you know, obviously who have to dress up when they have meetings and business meetings and things like that. And one more thing about real estate before I close this up here because I want to talk about this. is, And not to, like, make fun of anyone or whatever, but I feel like uh, so many people want to get their real estate license just to say that they did it. Oh, I'm getting my, I'm getting my real estate license. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be a real, estate, a real estate agent. I think the average... Real estate agent from all the people who are licensed sell less than two homes a year. And actually, it's probably actually less than that, but less than two homes a year. That means like one and a half. But I think that's like the average or something like that. Because people think that just because you get your real estate license, you're immediately going to be successful. No, 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 no. That just gets your foot in the door. It's like you say, I'm a digital marketer. I want to make a lot of money selling things online. But all you have is a do- is a domain name. That's all you have. You're not a marketer, you just have a domain name. Real estate agents who have a license, all you have is the ability to process real estate transactions. People that go to law school. You know if you don't go to a top-tier law school, when you get out you have a license, you're not insured just because you have a license that you're going to make any money. That that you won't be at just an ambulance chaser the rest of your life. The one common denominator in all three of these markets, whether it's real estate, law, sales is marketing. It's marketing. And networking. If you're in real estate, your network are gonna make you money if you're a lawyer you got to spend money on billboards and ads and get your number out there so people know to call you because I mean think about it every single lawyer starts off at the same level all you have is a license why 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 would I go to Larry H Parker and if you know if you've been around for a while and especially in Los Angeles you know Larry H Parker but this guy made millions of I don't know how many millions but you still know Larry H. Parker. Call me. I'll fight for you. Because he knew the he knew the benefit in advertising. And I'll, I'll talk about this a lot a lot later on. But don't get your real estate license just because it's something to do. Get it. But know that when you do get it, that's just the ability. That's just giving you the ability to make money. I was licensed in thirty two states to do mortgage light to uh, mortgage license in thirty two states. Thirty two tests. Thirty two different rules that they have. And I was licensed to do real estate transaction sales in California. And I realized that very quickly, a lot of these people aren't making money because they don't understand that you have to sell yourself. Sure, you can sign with like a Remax or something like that and they'll give you like a training manual and a little, some business cards, but at the end of the day, no one's gonna make that money for you other than you. And that's why advertising is so critical and so important. So, we have Trump with coronavirus. We'll see how that plays out. We got Joe Biden's camp just kind of hanging out, not doing much, letting the news burn the candle. They don't really have to do anything right now. You learned that in order to make a website, you probably don't do, you know, you probably don't want to do it by yourself. You don't want to be fixing your own car if you don't know how to fix cars. You probably let the professionals do it. And the fact that sales is really psychological, it's a lot of it is subconscious cues you pick up on, points that you can open up and ask about those, and then dive deep and really get to know the person who is going to potentially be entrusting you with the biggest financial transaction of their lives. And you know, obviously, it's not just them, typically, they're married, so it's both of their lives. But if you think about that, then you will. Become a better salesman. Like if you actually sit down and think about your sale and you listen to yourself on the phone, because I know it worked for me a lot. Listen to yourself. Even even shouldn't this podcast. Even speaking on camera or speaking to a microphone. You have to listen to yourself, so you don't go. Um, like um, uh, yeah. Uh, there's so many so so many little cues that you pick up when you listen to yourself. It's horrible. I mean, I know. Uh, you know, my business partner Mike. He hates the way he talks on camera He's like, I can't can't believe it Let's let's just edit it all out I said, no man, you can't edit all that out You just gotta watch it and learn from it But I digress Anyway, I gotta get out of here I gotta get this dog out of the room But I hope you've learned some stuff about sales, marketing, politics A little bit of everything today I just wanted to go over and briefly touch on a number of different subjects But if you liked what you hear Get someone else to listen to it, man get some of your friends say hey you should listen to Let's Grow Podcast because you're probably going to learn something that you're not learning from um, not listening to it and I know my sponsors keep telling me hey man plug the show more but I'm like you know what If, if people like it then I'll tell other people that's what I've always believed in you don't have to sell yourself if people like the content that you're making they keep making it people will tell other people about it like Andrew Yang which I won't talk about right now. But anyway, thanks for listening in to Let's Grow Podcast. I'm going to start recording these. I know these are just—they're always on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts now. It just came out on that. I was one of the first people to get approved on Amazon Podcasts, which is really cool. Um, but anyway, I'm going to start recording them more because a lot of people have been saying I, I just want to—I want to see the visual re- uh, representation of it. And here it is. So. With that being said, no more digressions, no more monologues, no more diatribes. This is Fabian DeRossi on the Let's Grow podcast, and until next time, let's fucking grow.